from the second floor of the AC building at Bethel University. This is live from AC Second. Welcome, friends. Thank Thanks you for friend. having us. I'm <laughs> so excited to be here. Um, this is the second uh, podcast in the Live from AC Second brand. Uh, I'm Chris Moore, a professor of political science. And uh, to my right is... I'm Sam Mulberry. Sarah Shady. Chris Garretts. Amy Poppinga. And now I feel super pretentious because I said my affiliation <laughs> yes. and none of you did. <laughs> What's your discipline, Chris? Political your science. Political science. Oh, I like if, if, if anybody wants to go back and listen to the first uh, election shock therapy, Chris not only said he was Chris Moore, political scientist, he also said my wife is Stacy. I have two kids. It was like a, oh, weird, a weird like bio he gave us. I kind of like I kind of like your instincts to do that. Yeah. Do you want to do some of that here? No. Is that something we should do? No, not even no. a little bit. <laughs> no. So should we reveal a little bit more about ourselves? That I, I think it's about, let, okay. let, before we do that, let, let's just talk about what this is, the point of this is. We're, we're gathered here in, in Amy Poppinga's office because she has the sweetest table. Um, Thanks. Yeah. And, and it was hard won, by yes. the way. It was, was not it hard easy. Hard won? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but anyway. nice. It's kind of an adventure yep. thriller of a movie of a story. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The yep. table. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um, and we thought, uh, we have some other podcasts on this channel that have more specific purposes uh, uh a politics podcast uh a podcast where amy makes dry stuff um and and some other uh, some other things we're running too but we wanted to have we, we realized that we have some really interesting insightful conversations that cross disciplines that aren't strictly academic that we have a lot of fun having that when other people join us they have a lot of fun having and so we thought we'd give a shot of recording these and just see how uh how other people enjoy listening to this as well so um uh, Sam, you want to talk, say a little bit more about kind of the the genesis of this? Well, this goes back to uh, actually everyone at this table ha- has been on multiple episodes of CWC, the radio show, including uh, four of the five of us have been ho- longtime hosts of that. Um, and and the old radio show was broken into three segments. Um, segment two was our content segment. Segment three was our try to interact with our listener segment. And segment one was kind of freeform. And so the shorthand was we would sometimes just refer to things, even conversations that were not recorded as kind of segment one conversations. So we're just trying to like um, exteriorize and forefront the segment one conversation. So the idea is this is in your marketing mumbo jumbo. That's right. Exteriorizing and forefront. Yeah, really. Oh, I do like this though. Like, is it like so? Our podcast is the podcast called Life for Me. It Second? is. It is. Oh, okay. and, and the idea, I do kind of, like segment one. Yeah, is also a good. That's podcast. pretty good. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, no. but you really have to be in the know for that. And, and the the idea here is that we have this particular collection of stars um, talking today. What's that? What did you call us? Collection of stars, or no, uh, prior to this, I think you called us the Super Friends. Okay, yes, oh. I, I, that's not really for air, but yeah. <laughs> Chris said, "Who should we have on this one?" I said, "I'll just go Super Friends on this one, and we'll expand later." Because the idea is, when we do these kind of bigger group roundtables, like uh, four, five, six people is a lot of people in a yeah. conversation on a podcast. But we we think it's it'll be kind of fun, so we're going to rotate this through. So you're going to meet other people um, if you keep listening to these shows. You're going to meet other people in these conversations. But we really wanted to kind of stack the deck in our favor and go as Chris made me point out, go Super Friends. <laughs> on this one that's a compliment because if any listeners have heard my first um gig on the cwc radio show maybe you can still find it somewhere right exactly there 
was a lot of dead silence. It was Sam and I um, sitting with Stacy Hunter Hecht, and it was an episode that Stacy then titled "Stacy and the Introvert." Yeah, there was a great moment where she, where, where Stacy, who could think on her feet really well, like threw out a great question and looked at at Sarah and I, and we both just kind of nodded, and she was like, "This isn't gonna work." If, Not uh, TV. That's right. That's right. But we got better, didn't we, Sarah? We did get yeah, better. I think by like season eight or nine. Like, <laughs> like there, there were times where it was just you and I doing shows, and they were okay. Yes, yeah. no dead there. So, uh, Sarah, you're hailing not from the AC second floor, but you, we've brought you down from the AC third floor. I'm a foreign correspondent. Yes, you are. <laughs> I do like it because you do, that is sort of your job is to let us know what's happening up there. And we often will even say things to you like, well, what, what's, how's this going on the third floor? Like, what's the reaction on the third floor? So yep. this is right. a real thing. You know, listeners might not realize the different floors of the building have yeah. different identities. Oh, what? okay. So the yeah, third floor identities, from my perspective, is it's philosophers. It's theologians. It's uh, biblical scholars. Um, literature. It's, English it's, it's, it's literature folks. It's a lot of people whose heads are probably just one inch above the ceiling, maybe, right? Oh, <laughs> now, now. I don't know. I think we're a little bit rogue. You know, there's, there's revolution oh. planning. There is. Up we're kind of here. established <laughs> here because we're right <laughs> next to the business department. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we like to uh, poke holes in things. We're deconstructing from the third floor. You plot trouble up yes. there. Is yeah. it really the third floor or is it the... Th- no. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and, and we're always... We always imagine that one day we'll come to work and our offices will just be gone and there'll yeah. just be science labs and, Ooh, and I think that day is coming. Well, it's well, actually a little closer than you might yeah, think. And then we will rebrand this the Humanities Diaspora Pod. <laughs> like, we, or we'll all have to like find some location where we can come we'll together. We'll be out in the forest. That's right. <laughs> Live from the Scandia Chapel. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, so the Skinny Chapel is this tiny little uh, ancient church that was moved onto our campus, which, as far as I can tell, serves only ceremonial purposes. I have no idea. I've, I teach a class there every spring. Of course Of course I do. So I teach an intro to history class. And so we do, to be fair, a class period, not a class. <laughs> <laughs> One session of a class of this. In, so we talk about um, historians in the church, and I think it's okay. always appropriate. You know, and a nice day in May to go off to Scandia Chapel. Does the Classroom Oversight Committee know that you use the Scandia Chapel, and <laughs> have you is, requested any significant improvements? This is as rogue as I will get as a second floor person. No, I, I did <laughs> go through proper channels to get You can actually book Scandia Chapel. It's it's in the whole EMS thing. What's so, the tech what's the tech setup and can I get catering? <laughs> no and no. So so uh, picture Little House on the Prairie Miss yes, Beetle up at the front and <laughs> yeah. you've got the Scandia Chapel. Only it's, yeah, it's, just, it's a tiny little tiny little church uh, or tiny little uh, country church. Yep. And uh, I accidentally scheduled it one time. So I, I do a, yeah accidentally What um, did you think you were scheduling? I um, so in my classes, I teach international relations courses, and in my courses, sometimes I do uh, international security simulations, and I have students sign roles. <laughs> what? It is a Swedish Wait, chapel. It gets so. better. Wait, this gets better. This gets better. Um, and I, uh, um, I, I needed a different room. I was in this one of these little tight, crappy rooms with all these little individual desks. Like this is not going to work to form the UN. So, um, so I, uh, I said, hey, I just want to ask my TA, can you please find a room that accommodates 35 people? Can you just, can you make that happen? Said, sure. And so she comes back in a letter. She's like, I can't find a room. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. So I'm like, I'm like kind of crabby with her. So I'm logging on EMS. This is the, this is the, the room scheduling system. And I'm like, they're fine. There's a room that fits 60 book. And like, and I, I didn't even look at where it was. I just assumed it was on campus. And it was, it was the Scania Chapel. Um, Did you, you know clear out in time for the Bjorndal Swenson wedding? Or? <laughs> 
we uh, we did not actually inhabit this. I've never been inside the Scania Chapel. Oh, oh. We, we field trip! Yeah. I haven't. You know what? I haven't been inside it either. Yeah. Well. And here you're all talking the smack. It's a great <laughs> learning environment. It's, I will say it's better than any AC third classroom. I would much rather meet there. Than it's what the best college teachers use, right? That's right. That's right. So long as you've go. packed your lunch in a tin bucket <laughs> and, and used the restroom within the last And it's a six-week period when it's not unbearably hot or cold. But go. other than that, go. it's terrific. <laughs> so oh. uh, would it be helpful if we went around and said a little bit of what we do here? Would that be useful? Yeah, absolutely. Then, I, then, then Sam and I have a question for all of you. Oh. Yeah. Um, sure. So, again, so I'm Amy Poppinga. I teach in the history department. Mm-hmm. This is, this fall marks my 11th year. Um, or this is my 11th year. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's March now. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So, that's what I do. So You teach, uh, you teach about I Islam? I teach and... Islamic studies and environmental history and Western mm-hmm. Civ. Yep. So. So I'm the other Chris who will probably talk less on this. We'll have to make clear which one of us we are. You have the more uh, dulcet tones, I think. That is not true. I have the more nasally tones. Um, I can't even think what year, because I was on sabbatical in the fall, and that's usually when I kind of remind. No, 14, because I'm in 15. There we go. So I'm in my 14th year. I'm in the history department as well. Uh, I teach, originally I was the European historian. That's almost all gone away, so now I'm kind of the war historian. Europe's Mm. still there. Europe is still there, but it's history. Less interesting (laughs) to students. Um, I, I do history of the institution a little bit, which is why I'm fond of the Scandia Chapel and mm-hmm. Pietism. I'll just leave that there. There we go. Do they have? I'm um, just one more Scandia. Question. Yeah, please. <laughs> like, so are there pews? Or are there like love sacks? Or like, what do they? Come have? on, come you on. Mean, you mean original 1850s? It was love sacks. Then they put pews in later. No, it's it's pews. It's okay. It's, it's are they of the small. original pews? I doubt it. it. Okay. So I mean, this is the oldest extant Swedish Baptist church, and they moved it from Lake Waconia up here in the 70s. Who's in charge of maintaining? The no Scandia? idea. There's no it's docent a bit of the musty chapel up there. I okay. Is All it right. like one of those philosophical? things where like they keep replacing parts so like is it is any of it actually yeah, really. any chapel <laughs> not like exactly. how all our like, molecules what is its go away after a while right. Right. the spirit right. is the same i think that's that's, that's funny yeah. um you might want to suggest docent of the scandia chapel as a potential committee assignment <laughs> Well, bear that in mind. It's full time. It's as good as film for him. It is. You know, exactly. I, I knew there would be a little Scandia Chapel in this episode. There's a lot more than I thought, though. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. <laughs> so, what do you have to do? Uh, all right. So, I am Sarah Shady. I am in my 15th year at Bethel, one year past Chris Geertz. Um, what I do teach, you get for 15? I don't know yet. You're always a year tattoo. Tattoo. Definitely tattoo. Tattoo. You're scouting I'm going to get an overnight <laughs> in the Scandia Chapel. <laughs> um... I teach philosophy here. I also co-direct our gender studies minor, so that's one of my areas of interest. Um, and I teach uh, Kierkegaard and existentialism. You will hear me reference Martin Buber from time to time because I just can't not. Hey, can we find a long interview with you, Sarah, somewhere online in which you talk about Kierkegaard and Buber? There you go. On the Royal Report, perhaps, where a journalism student interviewed you and they posted this on the web. Oh, yes. That's true. And it includes photos of me in my own home environment. (laughs) I thought you were plugging my old podcast because she's also on the autobiography. I thought so too. I was like, wow. I showed up in my Facebook feed. Reaching way back. I know her. I should read about her. (laughs) That's fantastic. I learned some things. You don't know most people in your Facebook feed? (laughs) (laughs) No, not not anymore. It's random people. you, You are kind of our celebrity. That's true. Oh, that's a very sad way to plug this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam? Uh, I am in my 
16th year at Bethel, mm-hmm. so because I get that. The oh, so what there. do you give for 15? Well, see, Bethel counts stuff weird, so I am both in my, according to Bethel, I'm yeah. in my 16th year. You're in my year. I'm in my 14th year, and I'm in my 13th year, <laughs> depending on how you count it. So you get multiple gifts. I started in, yeah. I, I started in, um, August of 2001 was my was that when I started at Bethel as an adjunct. So, um, but when I started full time was was in Chris's year. But when I did new faculty was in 2005. So, and you and Amy are alumni. Yes, that's right. Yeah. In, in a way, well. we've been here since 1995, yeah. yep. 96. But yeah. I'll be doing new faculty training next year. That's right. <laughs> this is part that's of the right. Bethel program. Uh, and I teach I teach uh, in the history department adjacent sort of. I mean, I'm in the department, but I don't teach really HIS courses. I teach on our Western. You know how like in episode. So, so say, for example, like in the West Wing, or I'm trying to think of another show, it'll say, um, like, um, with special guest. That's right. That's kind of like <laughs> yes. how I think of you in the history That's department. right, yeah, yeah. Like, here's the people, but then it's like, always, but, but it always, every episode, with special guest yep. I have that in Sam my contract. <laughs> so um, I also professionally do to-do lists, I think, at this point. Like, that's a big part of what I do. I do academic support stuff. And um, so, yeah, that's that's mostly my game. And... Um, I, like I said, I'm in the... Pl- I'm We've heard from you. No, yeah. I'm kidding. We've <laughs> 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 quite enough. So, uh, in addition to the folks that are on this table right now, we're going to bring some other folks in from time to time, too. So, you'll hear some other voices and make sure we introduce those people, too. We have to ask a question, though. Sam and I wanted to uh, kind of build uh, this podcast around a set of questions that we pose to each other and then and then where we take those questions. And we thought we'd sort of softball it for the first one here. So... Um, yeah. I just think, like, as somebody that plays softball and played softball, I just take the teeniest bit of offense that saying let's softball it okay. indicates already that, like, it's easy. Sorry. Nerf ball it? Can we nerf ball Yeah, we can nerf ball okay. it. Okay. Because a softball's not soft. How did that no, ever get that name? I don't know. Chris, this seems like you're um, <laughs> gender studies know. person. Yeah. Isn't that seem a little <laughs> gendered? <laughs> yes, it does. What, even worse, it used to be called, I know this because I had to write a report on softball when I was in gym class in high school. Yes, that's yeah. true. Um, that it used to be called kitten ball. That's way worse. For <gasps> what? <No. laughs> wow. Yes, now that's interesting. Are they playing with yarn, <laughs> like, <laughs> or let me just. Are you up? Okay, let me set my kitten down. Yeah. <laughs> I will say kitten ball like sounds adorable, but I'd be disappointed if somebody said, "Do you want to go to the kitten ball championship?" And I went and I saw a bunch of women playing softball. I would be disappointed. You'd be disappointed. <laughs> I'm so ready though. <laughs> like I'm already thinking, like how cute would a kitten be inside a, a glove, like a mitt? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> just a little softball outfit, right? One of the right. things that <laughs> listeners will learn about me is I am a sucker for, for animals doing human things. You are. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Okay, so Nerf ball. Well, no, see, as, a okay. ga- as a gamer, I take offense at something being nerfed. So, I oh, Sam, can we handball it? Would that be okay? Can we oh, team handball this? One? We can team handball. Okay. This. All right, there you go. Okay, we'll return to that preference. <laughs> yes, please. So here's the question. Okay. Um, what have you been reading lately? Oh, mm. well, I um, th- there's an from Bubble to Bridge by Sarah Shady. And Mary there Larson. we go. This yep. is, this I actually have read the plug. Sarah Shady's I've new read book from Bubble to Bridge. From Bubble to Bridge, from University Press. Yes, just came out in January 2017. Available on Amazon. We'll be giving away a free copy. <laughs> um, so I am currently reading a book that is purely fun, but it has an academic purpose behind it. I am reading. MWF Seeking BFF, which well, is actually what? the title of the book, <laughs> Married White, White Female, female Seeking Best, seeking best, friend, best forever. friend Forever, written by Rachel Birchie. 
Um, it's about a woman who moves to Chicago. She grew up in New York City, moves to Chicago um, when she gets married. And although she's quite happily married, misses all of her girlfriends back home. So engages in a year-long project to go on 52 first friend dates, hoping to meet her uh, new best friend. And so it's, it's that true. That sounds great. And it's great. It's an analysis of why female friendships are so crucial, mm. um, how you cultivate friendships, what makes a good friend. And it's also just absolutely hysterical. So I'm going to be teaching um, an inquiry seminar on friendship in the fall. So I might have this in an optional read choice category for mm. students, but it was a good way to justify reading a book that I thought would be fun to read anyways. So Sarah, are you one of those people who has like two or three very close friends, or are you one that has like friends everywhere, but maybe not especially? Well, <laughs> if you read MWF Seeking BFF, you'll learn the importance <laughs> of differentiating your friend categories. So Glad I most people can only sustain about three mm. to four very close friendships, and Amy Popping already has oh. one of those. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. Um, and then below that, you've got a category of maybe eight to ten close friends, mm. and then a recommendation of three 35 good acquaintances. It's like a pyramid. There's a friendship. Yeah, I'm changing the question now. There's four people at this table for each of us who's the odd person out. Three of them are oh. Oh. Shortest series you've ever come up with, Sam. <laughs> now, what do they do with social media as part of this? Um, so she blogs. So uh, after her first, well, her first three months she goes about trying to make friends just through people she knows you know like oh you should meet my friend so and so and that's how she sets up her first um probably eight or ten friend dates then as that list grows short she actually puts out like a blog with a want ad for friends and then she had a job description like what is her actual job oh friend job description uh yeah yeah so must it's be a foodie must be yeah and you know and then there's all these other issues like if you've lived in Chicago your whole life you're probably not going to be a good candidate because your social network is a lot deeper than hers and she sure. needs somebody yeah you know, that, like who, has the time for her exactly but she doesn't have kids yet right so it's also this interesting yeah. look at at navigating the twenties which I remember was this transition yes. where some people are still single some are married some have kids some are have jobs some have are still in school and you know and how all of those life differences matter as well serious question this time um how many people here could do um friend blind dates like that or how many people would find that like just an awful experience because I, 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 I will say, like, that sounds like the worst thing. It sounds worse than romantic blind dating. Oh, Almost, I don't think yeah. so. No, I don't <laughs> think so at all. You just meet for an hour for lunch or a drink, and then you have, like... I think this is so interesting, because I feel like you and I, Sarah, we often, when we... Because Sarah and I are really close friends, and so we usually know what's going on in each other's day, and whenever we meet a new person, like, usually through work, usually it's something where, oh, this person wants to talk about interfaith or something, whatever, our first question to each other always is when we're following up on it like so are they like friend material <laughs> like we, we categorize we're like well this person's not I mean we're not going to be friends or we're not going right. to be close friends or I don't ever see us being close friends so I feel like we already do this no that's totally true you sort of start to think about like 
who gets the follow-up invitations yeah. for lunch? How hard do you try to continue to see yeah. that person versus the, like, kind of mutual unstated acknowledgement that it like, was just a one-time deal? Yeah, this has been nice. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> so in this book or the others you're reading for the Inquiry Seminar, do they talk about life cycles of friendships? Like, I, I would oh. think the very closest mm-hmm. friendship. Like, my mom has a friend she's had since, like, third or fourth grade. But she's also had this pattern of, like, you know, she tends to have, like, two or three close friends, but they don't always last more than, like, five to six years. They tend to be pretty intense, and there's a conflict, and mm. things she's fall user. apart. Well, <laughs> oh, wow. She's not listening to this, so if you want to say <laughs> sure. But, I mean, I, I do wonder if there's a kind of natural, like, people move between those categories. Think of how you and I have a mutual person in our past, completely unrelated to knowing each other at the time, that, like, fulfills this exact category. No, exactly. Who I think actually communicated to each of us separately. Like, yeah, I no both, longer have time for you to We both friends. got friend broken up with <laughs> yes. by the same person in different, like, a decade apart. And mm-hmm. we didn't know each other. And, but but by the same by the same person. Yep. Became our friend so and like then broke up with each of us. So, like, a monogamous BFF. Yeah, or in the like list of I can really only have eight friends and, and someone yeah. else became my yeah. new friend. Did this so person create MySpace? Like- in my <laughs> in my case, in fairness, the person could only only had time for three. Oh. So, like in fairness, I feel if there had been eight, so they paired down. She'd be here right now yeah. if there had been eight, right? Sure. But yeah. Yeah. Wow, that sounds interesting. So as Good far, I, I'm only about a third of a uh, half, third to half of the way in, and they haven't talked about friend life cycles yet, except that I would say that she's probably at a stage in her life in her mid-20s where she probably is likely to be going through her first sort of friend cycle of which of your childhood friends stay with you for the long haul, and then where do you meet the people who become your deep lifelong adult friends yeah i would assume it's tied to other transitions i mean it's not necessarily decisions you're making about the nature of friendship it's right. movement job changes yeah. you know church changes whatever it is so I, i'm fascinated like the only book i feel like i've ever read about friendship was i mean i think c.s lewis talks about it and it's one of his four loves right is friendship but i i'm curious is there a vast literature on friendship is there like a lot of christian reflection on friendship um, there's a lot of psychological and sociological research mm-hmm. on it. Um, I mean, you know, going all the way back to Aristotle, it's been an important philosophical question. Uh, so I'm I'm just kind of now trying to immerse myself in into that literature mm-hmm. too of some of the more contemporary literature. So. Yeah, there's an interesting strand of it related to sexuality and faith around people who feel a who feel oriented towards people of the same sex, but because of their religious belief, don't feel like they can act on it. And there's a whole blog called Spiritual Friendship of thinking through where do some of those desires get channeled, and they think then about friendship as an alternative to romantic or sexual desire. Interesting. Sorry to bring things down. (laughs) (laughs) That's your job, Chris. Yeah, that's I gotta be me. It is is interesting in in terms of thinking about friendship. I mean, for me, so much of it has to do with the practical proximities of like, I even noticed like a semester when somebody's on our teaching team, I'm with that person all the time. And then if they roll off it, I have to kind of go out of my way to see that. I mean, Sarah and I are experiencing right now. Exactly. Like, if we don't stop by each other's office, we can go a week or two without, um, without seeing each other. And it reminds me a lot of being in 
high school or college when it was like, oh, you're friends with people who are in your classes, and if you don't end up in that person's class, or my kids are in, my, my son's in middle school, and it's like, well, are you in class with this person? If so, you end up being more of a friend. Um, Chuck Klosterman, in his first book, had an um, essay about Saved by the Bell, which touches on this. Because um, he talked about, there's a if, for those of you who are big Saved by the Bell fans, um, there was a season where um, uh Kelly and what was Elizabeth Berkley's Jessie, character? Jesse. Were they not in it anymore? And then there's like, <gasps> there's Tori, there's the new girl. And and everybody first criticizes that saying, well, that's really stupid. They just tried to like just switch the cast out. And Chuck, is, Chuck makes the argument that that actually, although that's the practicalities of people wanting to go make movies and stuff, said that's actually what high school is like to a certain degree that, oh. that like they just weren't in classes together and all of a sudden a new person's there and, and you re and when i think about my own experiences you i do kind of recreate my friendships at through cycles and because i'm still at a school there are elements where some of that stuff shifts so i just find that really an, an interesting thing although i would say and this is my sentimental moment for those at the table like when we have those cycles of rotating out of each other's lives if someone's on sabbatical or our teaching schedules aren't matching up with the five of us i feel like there's a hole like i'm yeah. not quite my mm. usual self i'm not my full self without those friendships and i think that's one of the indicators of where do the friendships rank on the friendship pyramid sure. if i feel like something's missing then we've yeah. moved beyond acquaintances How much in the book does she talk about those sort of that that kind of classification of friendship being a conscious thing or how much is it unconscious like yeah she talks a lot about that in terms of to a degree, there's a, a consciousness when you're starting a friendship because both people have to sort of be mutually interested in continuing sure. the relationship. Um, at the same time, um, she's she reflects on the ways in which those friendships often surprise us. So if we were just looking at a roster of people, we it might not be the people we would have initially <laughs> thought we would be most sure. likely to connect with. No, that's I think I think that's really interesting. Um, do you, uh, consciously, um, edit your friends? Because I don't think I do that. You know, the, you way, the, way, the way you were talking about this, this person who, oh, like who, who the broke culling up with of you. your friends. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever sort of make conscious choices about your friends? I find myself sort of, that's a much more organic process. I also wonder if there's a difference between male and female friendship here, the way that you, the mm. way that you talked about it. I'm probably the most extroverted man in the, on this in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably not close. Um, and yet the <laughs> thought of friend dates sounds appalling to me. <laughs> Maybe that, yeah. I, I think about how, um, you know, again, kind of Sam, to your point, but sort of like proximity of friendships. I mean, it's interesting because we all, I think, have very, like a very deep and enriching friendship that certainly extends beyond just the work we do here. And yet at the same time... Um, I don't see you, Chris Moore, like all summer, you know, I won't see you for three months and probably don't even interact that much. And yet at the same time, you sort of pick right back up where you left off. But same thing when someone's on sabbatical and they, they sort of lift out, but then they get dropped right back in. But it's interesting because Sarah and I have talked about, and I actually feel this sort of with all of you, it's a little bit like roommates in college, that if you had a friend who became a good friend as a roommate, like that's the context in which you met them. Mm-hmm. After college, it was hard to figure out how to be good friends because your friendship had always existed because you lived in close you know you'd always you hadn't had to figure out how do we do friendship when we have to be very intentional about getting together and that's always my struggle in the summer sarah and i always talk about like how do we how do we do this when we don't see each other mm-hmm. and don't live close to each other when there's all these other life logistics that aren't just naturally occurring because we're in the same space 
Right. And I do think, I mean, I do think there's an element of socialization in it, too, where one of the things that she talks about is her husband just becomes friends with the people that he works with or the people, like, friendship is a like for kind of joint activity yeah. together. Yeah. I, we play basketball That's together. My hunting we friend. go to work. Right. That's my soccer friend. Exactly. Whereas I think women are, you know, by a certain point, you, you're sort of socialized as what do you do together? You go out to lunch together. You go get your nails done together. You know, but there's these sort of like very conversation focused activities rather than, uh, you know, and and so that's why I think the idea of the friend date is like, well, that's what I do with women. We go someplace and we sit down and talk. It's like being instead of doing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, good job, sir. Yeah, that was really interesting. <laughs> and that's all we have time for. Next. <laughs> Very rich. Well, um, Chris, what are you reading? Sure. So I'm only a few chapters into it, so I'll be limited in what I can tell you about it. But I was down in Chicago last week, and kind of the theme of the trip was people kept handing me, here's a book that I did here you should read. And the one that I ended up reading on the flight back is by Andy Crouch, who's mm-hmm. an editor of Christianity Today and a really, I think a really interesting guy and, and good, good writer. Uh, and so his newest book is this kind of little... It's like a 120-some small-page thing, again, from University Press called Strong and Weak. Hmm. Uh, And basically what it's about is what is the nature of flourishing, which I was actually thinking about last week in CWC because we're asking this question at the end of Unit 1, what's the nature of the good life and how do Plato and Aristotle talk about that? How do early Christian martyrs think about the good life? And so I actually brought in a little of what Crouch has to say. So... Yeah, his basic idea is that you have to kind of imagine like a two-by-two two matrix or like two intersecting axes. And so the the ideal for human flourishing would be a place where you have authority of some sort and a place where you're vulnerable. And mm-hmm. so what he means by authority, I think it's kind of, he had a, his previous book was about redeeming the idea of power and thinking that we all actually have power. They're just, what do you do with the power? What's mm-hmm. the nature of power? And so I think, I haven't got far enough to know if he distinguishes between power and authority, but he means... I mean, it can mean influence. It can mean that people respect and honor you. It, I mean, I think of the easiest way for me to think about it, and for most of us, is that we have authority over and with students, right, in our classrooms. And then, you know, we are also subject to the authority of others. But in some ways, you know, you can't really be flourishing if you if you like any kind of sense of authority. But at the same time, you can't really be flourishing, even if you have a lot of authority, if you are not vulnerable with what you've been given. And what he mostly means there is that you're willing to take significant risks in what you do. You're willing to put that on the line and to treat it as something that's fragile and and precarious and and perishing even. And and so he kind of diagrams this matrix of, you know, if you had neither of those things, you'd be in, like, he calls it withdrawal. You know, you're just, you're too afraid of the world. You're just not going to, you're going to disengage from it. You could exploit the authority and have no sense of vulnerability, right? And Mm -hmm. you just could, I mean, it's an abuse of power. You could also, and he says, well, I'll go through this, go through a stage of suffering where you feel like you've lost authority. You're profoundly vulnerable. You're always at risk. And his way of illustrating this is to talk about um, a niece of his who was born with trisomy 13, which is where you have an extra copy of your 13th chromosome. Mm. So it's like a much worse version of Down syndrome. And most children who are born die right away. This one survived, lived to 11 just as the book was finishing. She died. And so we're probably like, that strikes us as an extreme version of that vulnerability and, and lack of authority. But he points out that actually in her case, one thing about her life is it actually enables others around her to flourish in some way, from the doctors mm. and nurses to care from her, to her parents, to the teachers, to friends and family. 
So uh, it, this is a very long introduction. Set. Like the one thing I've really taken away that I talked about with students last Friday is is that you can't flourish individually. You can only flourish in community. Like the, to the extent that we all find our jobs meaningful, it's because we've got students who are willing, you know, to be in classes with us. Yeah. To some extent that we have colleagues who are willing to work with us. That we have administrators and others who facilitate our work. Um, and, and there are always there are all sorts of ways of thinking about that. But that's I guess what I've been reflecting on, kind of heading into Lent and wanting to do something about my own selfishness, is to think, like, you know, to the extent that I find what I do pretty meaningful and significant, and I feel like I found a calling, it's only because I do that, you know, through the charity of others. Hmm. Sorry, that was, that was not great for a podcast. <laughs> What's the relationship between vulnerability and accountability? Because it seems to me like vulnerability is generated internally and accountability is, is external. And I don't know. I mean, like, he's um, – early on he talks more about authority. And okay. so I don't know. I, I, I guess I'll have to punt and say I'll be curious to see what he makes of the nature of vulnerability, mm-hmm. this notion of being willing to take risks. Um, like, what it doesn't mean necessarily – he doesn't necessarily mean, like, a kind of transparency or, you know, being in touch with your emotion. That That's not necessarily, okay. I think, what he means. And so I don't know how accountability would be used you – know, within that. So I don't know how to answer it. It's a good question, Chris. I don't know. I think it's an interesting question, too, to think about, um, you know, and I, I don't know him as a person, but to think about if the book was, you know, how does the book read to a person who struggles to find authority? So what if the community that you're in doesn't seem to recognize you as a person with authority because of your gender or your race or class. Um, And, you know, and, and I think that communal responsibility comes out of that, but I almost wonder if it's a tension that exists more for people that already have some privilege than that it's a relevant tension for people situated in a different position in society. I think he's fairly conscious. I mean, one of the recurring themes early on is the position of immigrants in the society. And he tells the story of this highly educated woman from Chile who, I think her husband is an academic and and she couldn't get a job and so she cleans houses in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And so that's a pretty common theme of immigrants, you know, Mm -hmm. vulnerable, not necessarily out of choice. But you know, whose gifts often go unrecognized and undervalued. And you know, she then has a kind of interesting way of making meaning of what she does, and she spiritualizes the work. But I mean, he enters into, I think, pretty conscious. He's you know, a middle-aged white guy from you know, the East Coast who's incredibly highly educated and very affluent, who you know got a platform from which to speak. And then, you know, you, you find him then trying to, you know, I think mostly he's a journalist. He's trying to tell the stories then of other people. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see how that theme runs yeah. through. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, here's where I'll bring it down a notch. So, um, no, I'm reading, I just started a new book. Um, I'm reading A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. I love that book. Oh, have you read it? Yes. Oh, okay. Because then I've read your book, the book that you're reading. I've read your oh, book. Yeah. Um, so, but um, has anyone else read any Bill Bryson? So, Bill Bryson writes about a variety of topics. He's a travel writer. Oh, he, he wrote yeah. 1927, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. I've read that on sabbatical. Um, and so, anyway, it's about his experience walking the Appalachian Trail. So, it's both sort of personal anecdote. He's a humor writer. Mm-hmm. So, but then it's also about the history of the Appalachian Trail. So, but. I'm only about two chapters in, but I'm pretty fascinated by the Appalachian Trail, and it's something that I teach in class as we talk about um, 
the development of it a little bit. But anyway, but I enjoy Bill Bryson also wrote a book about he lived in England for years. And I cannot remember the name of the book, but he has a book about just like culture in England. Small country. Small, yes. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it's sort of a light read. And yet at the same time, it's really interesting and informative. And he covers a lot of the history. So mm-hmm. there's probably not a lot for us to break down with that. But it's, so it's a nice. My, you've got even earlier than the, only through two chapters, you've gotten through my favorite anecdote in the book, which is his. Um, extremely ill-prepared friend who he goes to walk, <laughs> the, walk the they decide they're going to yeah. walk the ocean trail together they're both out of shape his friend decides the or no he decides the best backpack he could get is like one of those newspaper delivery backpacks like the like the, sa- like the sidearm satchel kind of thing that's what feels comfortable to him so he loads up everything in that his friend I, I kid you not packs uh, beer and cans of spam, which he's then like, like, hi- like oh in, in Georgia, like hiking down the trail, and about like maybe five miles into their entire journey, his friends at the side of this ravine, swearing uh, like a sailor and throwing like cans of spam into the ravine. Yeah. Um, it's, that's how they start. You know? Yeah, no, it's just, it's really humorous mm-hmm. and good and is a late. I always need to read for about 30 minutes before bed to sort of like detach and shut my mind down a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's perfect for that. So, and they made this into a film. Isn't, isn't there a film based that on it that came out familiar. a year or two ago? Really? Yes. <laughs> I don't you know. know. I think it's so. an animated this is not film. not Emil Hirsch's Into the Wild. Like, right, right. <laughs> exactly. No. No. Nor no. is it not, wild. And it's not The Never Revenant. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have our uh, research we'll, team we'll look into that. We'll that on the link if we can. So, I mean, um, what is the history of the Appalachian Trail? Because I was on the Blue Ridge Parkway a lot, which okay. probably crosses with it a little bit. Yes, it does. Because the parkway is like mid-1930s. Does the Appalachian Trail predate that? Yes, it does. Yeah. So that, and then significant portions of it are um, formalized and then maintained um, as a part of the Civilian Conservation Corps. So then, kind of same story there. But in terms of like in history and the human environment, we look more at sort of um, the Appalachian Trail in terms of trade and hunting and a natural barrier for, um, I mean, the original like the Proclamation Line of 1763 that runs along the Appalachian Trail. So. What are you guys reading? Well, Sam and I are just like making eyes at each other here. We got we need uh, to wrap up. We got to wrap up, and so this is how all of our lunchtime conversations. That's end. true. Uh, it, it ne- the conversation never quite ends. And um, I think we're going to lunch. Are we? I think. Okay. <laughs> I, gotta go, I gotta go teach. I don't know about you guys, um, but uh, Sam. I'm just, I'll answer really quickly. I'm reading student exams. That's what I'm currently reading. <laughs> I'm also I'm also diving into a little text I like to call Justified. If you're listening oh, to yes. other shows on this, yep. Um Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm reading other things too, but that's those. That's where my my energy is going at the immediate moment. Can we yeah. talk about TV shows next time? Like I, I, I managed <gasps> to pull out a book to talk about, but I'd rather talk about TV. So instead more. of what are you reading, what are you watching? Yes. What are you right. watching? Okay. Is All good. Right. Well, yeah. it's definitely justified for me too. Um, I am reading. You have to do what because, I say. Just because, just because you tease it, I have to say I'm currently reading *Hillbilly Elegy*, yep. um, mm-hmm. which uh, um, which Amy's already read. So I'm only a little bit into it. Um, it's uh, I, I, um, J.D. Vance was a student at Ohio State when I was a grad student there. Uh, Mitch Crum, one of my colleagues here, was a, was a fellow undergrad with him at the time. Um, but uh, so I'm kind of reading it out of that personal connection, but also um, really fascinated by how this might speak to sort of changes in American politics. Too. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. We'll have to talk more about it. Yeah. Well, guys, um, Sam, we, we have decided two things we needed to decide today, so we're, we're behind. We were supposed to figure out what our theme music was going to be for this podcast. Guys, do we have theme music? I already got to pick theme music for That's another true. podcast, so I'll, I'll refrain. 
I mean, I think I do have live for AC set because we've done one of these. I just don't even remember what it is. I have it somewhere. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember. Well, we'll play that music to lead this in. To be, we can go to be continued on that. Sure. So, anyway, we're going to sign off now. So, on behalf of my colleagues here in Professor Poppinga's office, this has been live from. You've been listening to live from AC Second. Thanks for listening. <laughs>